Welcome to Strung Out, the podcast that looks at life through the lens of an artist. Your host is the artist, writer, and musician, Martin Lawrence McCormack. Now here's Marty. Hello everyone and great to have you with us and I want to wish you all a happy St. Patrick's week. Usually it's a St. Patrick's month. If you're a musician, especially it is St. Patrick's month, but we are now on the cusp of the high holy day itself, St. Patrick's Day, that inexplicably falls during the time of Lent, which is an odd time to have a holiday in which there's a lot of carousing, eating and drinking, and consumption of corned beef and cabbage, at least on this side of the pond. I have always identified strongly with Ireland and St. Patrick's Day because of my roots. My grandfather was the most recent emigrant over to the United States, coming over in 1918. And I grew up in a family that celebrated St. Patrick's Day, I can remember from the earliest age, wearing little buttons in first and second grade to school with green ribbons down from it that had the Irish and American flag and, you know, said, Erin Gobra, Ireland forever. And I just was taught that you're Irish, you're, you're different. You're different from those other kids at school because you're Irish. And it was, it was a good feeling. And later on, as I went on and started to sing more and more publicly, St. Patrick's Day was something that was always a must for an Irish-American performer. So I learned Irish music really coming from my parents and from the Irish albums that we had, the John McCormack 78 albums that every Irish household would have. And I had to learn the song. I had to learn the song, Danny Boy. Danny Boy is a song that people love to hate. If you go into an Irish bar and you ask somebody to play Danny Boy, you're going to get the rolling of the eyes, you're going to get the clenching of the teeth. However, most people request that song. Most people identify with that song, especially in North America, because the song really is tied closely to the diaspora, the people coming over, And then secondly, it's tied to World War I, the Great War, and World War II, and the loss of life, mainly because the lyrics themselves talk about somebody leaving and perhaps maybe coming back, but you kind of know that they're not going to come back. And that's the tragedy of the song, and that tragedy resonated so closely with Irish-Americans, Irish-Canadians, because that was the fact. When my grandfather came over in 1918, it was at a time still where the idea of coming back to Ireland was probably not going to happen. Luckily enough, I believe he made it over twice, once by himself and once with his wife, Cecilia Supernaw McCormick, a French-Canadian lady who really identified with the Irish because the way they were living reminded her so much of her growing up down near the little Canada of Kankakee 
and St. George, Illinois. But if you jumped a generation earlier, that wasn't going to happen. You would have what's called an American wake in which the family of somebody going over to the United States would be given a send-off akin to a wake of a deceased person. That kind of understanding, that kind of sense of loss, that idea that you're never going to see these people again, that is what gives Danny Boy an almost predetermined popularity because it is a song about ourselves. And no other Irish song really captures it as exceptionally as Danny Boy does. There are a lot of songs that try, and modern songs like the Pogues song, Thousands Are Sailing and such, but nothing with the lyrical sensibility and the melodic elegance that Danny Boy has. And here's a little secret why a lot of musicians don't like Danny Boy. It's a hard song to perform. It's a hard song to sing. And it's sort of like if you were asked to do a professional ski jump and you only ski two or three times out of the year and you're going to be judged on whether you can do that ski jump and you go off the side and you break a leg. That's pretty much what Danny Boy is like. It challenges you as a presenter of singing music and really calls for almost an operatic way of of presenting the song and having the ability to hold breath for a long time on the high note, which calls for a held breath. Another song that's like that is the Star Spangled Banner. That high note, held, it winnows out the people that would like to sing it from the people that can sing it. The big difference with Danny Boy is you got a lot of people that would like to sing it that sing it anyway. And that's really the the reason why Danny Boy is detested. It's sort of like a feeling of, if I can't do it, I'm just going to disparage it. So that in a nutshell is just a little brief beginning of why Danny Boy is looked upon with such reverence, but at the same token, with such a sense of horror by some people. One of the questions that people always ask me is the origin of Danny Boy. And Danny Boy itself is as difficult to understand, historically speaking, as it is to sing it. There's a lot of myth. There's a lot of theory. There's a lot of argument. There is a lot of money that has been made with the presentation of Danny Boy, even recently. Danny Boy was a PBS special here in the United States, I think, The Origins of Danny Boy, with Malachi McCourt, the Irish-American actor. And we're going to get to the bottom of this about Danny Boy and find out what it's all about. Well... You're never going to find out what it's all about. In some ways, that makes Danny Boy the perfect song to sing because it is wrapped in mystery. However, there are some historical facts to Danny Boy. And we are going to 
delve into that for this podcast. Because every time I have looked into the origins of Danny Boy, I have always found one little nugget of history that surprises the heck out of me. And on this podcast, I'm going to reveal that nugget as we go along. But let's begin, first of all, with the origin of the music itself. The music itself is what gives Danny Boy its Irishness. And you have to go back to the time of the Druidic class, the Brehan class in Ireland. And the Brehans were people that practiced law. They were the musician class. And they were considered highly skilled. They were the doctors as well and the Druids. So you had the priestly class, you had the law class, and the artist class. A bard, a harp player, carried a lot of power. The reason being is because the bard was the scribe, the person that recorded all the history for the clan, the tribe. It would be said that a king would be very wary of irritating or offending a bard because to do that, the bard could sit and write a song that everybody could hear him singing that would disparage the king. And the king would lose face and would lose power. And for a king to lose power in those days, especially with the tiny clans and such, would mean that the tribe would be looking at him as somebody that probably could be replaced by a better representative. In Celtic days was ritual killing, and they would kill the chieftain, and by the way that the chieftain died, they would be able to see what their future was going to look like. So you didn't want to really get the bard too angry, at least in the very, very ancient early days of Ireland. They were the historians. They were the people that could turn you into a legend or a laughingstock. That's a lot of power, still a lot of power today with musicians. And that's why you find that musicians, entertainers are usually one of the first groups of people to get knocked out of any kind of authoritarian regime. For example, if you want to look at the band Pussy Riot that's in Russia, they have been thrown in jail, they've been persecuted mainly because that woman group stands up to Vladimir Putin. That's a modern-day example of bards standing up and showing the king for being a fool. Important to understand that, that this melody, Danny Boy, came from that class, the bardic class. I'm going to quote here from a website called Conley's Cove. It said, the air itself was a tune attributed to Rory Dahl O'Cahan. And Rory Dahl O'Cahan was a bard that was living in Scotland. So we're talking about the end of the bardic era, but this guy obviously was still making a living playing and it's not unusual for an Irish harpist 
to be over in Scotland. They were basically one and the same. This was the Celtic people. This was before all the, the rise of Protestantism and that sort of stuff. So you can understand what's going on with Rory. He's probably working a gig. He's probably playing for a chieftain at that time. And uh, here's where the myth comes in. There was a great little website called the Irish Music Daily. And I want to quote it. It said, there's a popular legend that Rory had been drinking heavily one evening. Of course, right? And then on his way home, he fell down by the side of the river and dropped his harp. As he lay there in a drunken stupor, he became aware of a magical melody wafting through the air. He had never heard anything so beautiful before. He didn't want to even move because he was afraid if he moved, the music would stop. But at one point, he slowly turned his head, and there he could see where the harp had been dropped. Fairies were sitting and playing on it. And as soon as they finished, they departed, leaving Rory alone in the night. By now, he had sobered up and was wide awake. He immediately rushed to his harp to start playing the melody before he forgot it. As soon as he mastered it, he raced back to his patron's castle to play it to anyone who would listen. The melody became known as O'Cahan's Lament and quickly became popular throughout the north of Ireland. So, Scotland and Northern Ireland were pretty much one and the same for the clans at that time. That's an important point to remember with this, because the melody itself stays up in the north. What happens next with the melody is, is that you have to jump ahead to a time where there was a guy named Edward Bunting, and Edward Bunting was a gentleman that would collect music. So Edward Bunting, in 1792, collected this melody that supposedly came from Rory Dahl Akahan. And he brought it to be arranged and played by a harpist by the name of Dennis Hempson at the 1792 Belfast Harp Festival. That's where this melody supposedly was first heard. Now we have to jump almost 70 years later. A source called Classic FM said, In 1851, a woman named Jane Ross heard an unnamed fiddler, widely to believe a man named Jimmy McCurry, playing it, in Lima Vadi, Ireland. So that's up in the north, Jane Ross. And she, in turn, gave him a coin for his trouble. Now, Jimmy McCurry was the local fiddler, and he was blind. So in order to see how good the coin was, he, he, he put it to his lips to check its value. He thought it was going to be a penny, but then discovered it was a florin. 25 times 
more than what he was expecting. He shouted after Ross, thinking she must have made a mistake, but she wouldn't take the coin back. She told him it was a token of her appreciation. That florin must rate is one of the best investments ever in music, according to the Irish Music Daily. I'd have to say, so what did Ross do with that music? She sent it to a gentleman by the name of Dr. George Petrie, who is devoted to the Irish music study. And Petrie, in 1851 or thereabouts, comes out with Ancient Heirs of Ireland. And Petrie credited a Miss Jane Ross of County Derry, Ireland, for notating this Londonderry air after hearing it played by an unnamed blind fiddler. So, out the window goes O'Cahan's Lament, and now we have Londonderry Air, which I kind of wish that they kept it with O'Cahan's Lament, because Londonderry Air sounds just like London's butt, and it's just not a really (laughs) easy thing to say any other way. That's the first part about this, and so we're going to take a little break here, and we're going to come back with more on the story of Danny Boy. You're listening to Strung Out.
Holly Chase here, reminding you about the 20% discount you get from your first order at martinmccormick.com. Choose from fine art prints or merchandise like tote bags, t-shirts, pillowcases, and much more. You're sure to find something you love, but don't take my word for it. Let's hear from Jan in Australia about her new Marty merchandise. I am so happy with my first purchase from Marty's collection of merchandise. I chose a mug, this one, which features red cloud. It's beautiful and goes right around the whole mug. And I've just finished drinking a cappuccino from it. It was perfect. It was easy to order. And it took a couple of weeks to arrive in Australia. Beautifully packaged. So now I'm considering what to buy next. Hey, we're back. And we're going to continue along with this story of Danny Boy. I just love digging up more facts on it. So here we are now, 1850s. And you could imagine that this song makes its way all around the minstrel circuit. At this point, it doesn't have any lyrics that resemble the Danny Boy we know today. In fact, a lot of people try to put lyrics to it. And one of the big lyrics were, My love, a tender apple blossom. And those were English words and English sentiment of the time to a very Irish tune. And it was an art song, but it was also played as a melody. So the P-50s, minstrel shows, that sort of thing, this is where you would hear this kind of melody being played. You have to now leap from the 1850s to the turn of the century, the time my grandfather came over from Ireland. And this is where it gets interesting It's the arrival of this English barrister, a lawyer from Somerset in the south of England, Frederick Weatherly. Not a lot is need to be known about Fred Weatherly, except that he wrote a lot of songs and he has this one outlier, Danny Boy. Originally, Fred had written these lyrics and... He had written him for another melody at the time. He had some losses in his family. He had lost a son and he lost a father, I believe. Let's see what songmeaningandfacts.com has to say about it. Frederick Weatherly was 62 years old at the time. He penned Danny Boy. And whereas there may not have been any war raging in Britain at the time yet... He did suffer his own personal tragedies, which are said to have influenced the grievous tone of the song. And that was not only the passing of his father in 1910, but also the concurrent death of his only son. Well, there's a little bit of a problem there because there's another site that says actually his son goes on to die in World War I. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. So, again, you got to kind of decide what's the truth here. But suffice it to say that his father died in 1910, and Fred is feeling 
blue about that and sad, and so he he puts together this song that has so much importance, Danny Boy. There are a lot of interpretations as to the lyrics themselves, and why would he put in the pipes, the pipes are calling? Why would he mention the word Ave, because that's such a, a Catholic kind of thing, the Ave Maria, the Hail Mary, very much something that would be construed with... Um, Irish Catholicism. There's a lot of symbolism in it. And in some ways, it's argued that he, like all songwriters, he wanted to make it a song that everybody could kind of make their own. And that holds well today. As a songwriter, I try to make a song that I want everybody to be able to sing. All right. And so that you kind of keep some things vague. Where he's not vague is, oh, Danny boy. However, from the Irish Music Daily, they say the idea of a deliberate vagueness is beguiling. But the theory takes a knock from a footnote that Weatherly added to the 1918 reprint of Danny Boy. He said that male performers should replace the word Danny Boy with Eile Dare. So Irish Music Daily says, nah, he wasn't trying to be vague. But I, I would like to argue that I think with the exception of the name he was. And I think Fred Weatherly just must have felt it was awkward for a man to sing Danny Boy, but that's his own hang-up perhaps, right? Uh, we will never know. So the vagueness of the song, as far as what is going on, really serves the Irish sentiment because you hear the pipes calling and pipes traditionally were used for the marshalling of battle forces, especially with the Scots, but the Irish themselves too. The playing of the pipes meant that you were being called to war. So it's interesting that before World War I, he, he sets this up in such a, a, a way Maybe he's just thinking that that's romantic notion, that the pipes calling for Danny Boy would be something that you need to hear. But he does it, and he has these lyrics sitting around for a while. What happens next is what really is pretty cool. And I always talk about it when I introduce the song. But I'm going to start here with a quote from Connolly's Cove. And they wrote, Despite the heavy Irish connection, Frederick Weatherly never visited Ireland to learn its history or pay homage to its ancestry. According to Frederick Weatherly's great-grandson, Margaret Weatherly, who was of course the reason that Frederick became acquainted with the song, was never acknowledged for her role in the song's creation and died penniless in the United States. Who was Margaret Weatherly? This is a big part of it. The Irish Music Daily said that she was a sister-in-law living in Colorado and heard the tune being played by Irish workers who were prospecting for gold. She fell in love with the melody and sent a copy of the sheet music to Fred in the hope that he might be able to use it. I always wondered, well, where in Colorado was Margaret Weatherly? And we're going to get to that part of the song and wrapping up the thoughts 
after this break. You're listening to Strung Out. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling from Glen to Glen and down the mountainside. The summer's gone And all the flowers are dying Tis you, tis you Must go And I must buy But come ye back When summer's in the meadow Or when the valley's hushed And white with snow Tis I'll be here in sunshine or in shadow Oh Danny boy Oh Danny boy I love you so If you come And all the flowers are dying And I am dead As dead I well may be You'll come and find The place where I am lying And kneel and say An Ave there And I shall hear the soft you tread above me And all my dreams will warmer, sweeter be If you will not fail to tell me Until you come to me But should I live And should you die for Ireland Let not your parting thoughts Be all of me Breathe a prayer to God for our dear Ireland that he may hear and he may set her free. And I shall take your place and pike, my dear. And strike the blow, the weak 
I told you I had a little bit of nugget of revelation that I dug up, and I I think this is cool because it comes from none other than Colorado Public Radio. And they had on their website a little story about the Colorado connection to Danny Boy, and if it wasn't for Margaret Weatherly, Danny Boy itself would not have come about, and very true. So I just want to read a little bit from what they wrote about it. Over a decade ago, Fort Lewis historian Andrew Guilford made a difficult hike up to an abandoned mine, clinging to a precipice above Ure, Ure, Colorado. This is in the southwest corner of the state. This is mining country. Guilford was not interested in the mine itself, but he was looking for signs of Margaret Weatherly. They quote him saying, I was sitting on the steps of the old bunkhouse, looking at names that had been scrawled on the front door, and I saw... Margaret Weatherly, June 7th, 1924. I thought, aha, there it is. So they go on to say that Margaret Weatherly was there in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado. They arrived, Edward, who would have been Fred's brother, and Margaret Weatherly arrived in Ure in 1905, and they stood out in the rough mining town. An aristocratic Englishman, Edward told townspeople that he was a physician, but medicine was not his interest. He was instead drawn to the town by his fascination with silver mining. The Weatherleys toiled, both of them, worked in the Neosho mine, hoping to unearth riches, but their search proved unsuccessful. Here's where it's kind of sad. According to records archived by the University of Colorado and correspondence sent by the Weatherleys, the couple was so poor that they suffered from malnutrition and lacked proper clothing to stay warm in Ure's snowy winters. And Margaret's hand in creating Danny Boy went unacknowledged. The song became popular soon after it was published in England in 1913, but she was not given credit, did not appear in the copyright, she did not receive royalties. Her husband, Edward, died in 1934, and a grieving Margaret slipped into madness. She described having visual and auditory hallucinations. Her writings grew increasingly illegible until they were nothing more than indecipherable squiggles. She became paranoid, and her odd behavior was too much for the people of Ure. They sent her to a state mental hospital in Pueblo in 1936. She died there three years later. What happened to Frederick? Well, Frederick goes to a lot of fame with this song, Danny Boy. 
And apparently there's some sour grapes still in the family. It's the great-great-grandson of Fred Weatherly, Anthony Mann. In songs, meaning in facts.com, just to note, according to Weatherly's great-grandson, Fred went on to ruthlessly cheat Margaret out of all the associated royalties. So in other words, it's kind of sad, you know. That's the, the, a bitter part of this whole song, that here you have a song that was written by people. Fred's contributions come really through the generosity and sheer luck of having people that could give him a eureka moment, and he gets it. So he gets a break, takes off. And the first person to really sing the song was a woman. And it was an English opera singer, Elsie Griffin. She introduces a song and dedicates it to the troops fighting in France in World War I. And it goes to a huge audience. Now, the first recording was made in 1915. This is still while the war is going on by German vocalist Ernestine Schumann Heink. So the first Irish song that's written by an Englishman, gets recorded by a German. That's the interesting thing about this, whose melody comes from an Irish bard living in Scotland and passed on through another Scottish lady with the last name of Ross to the sister-in-law of this Fred Weatherly who brings it with her to Colorado where she hears the miners playing it. Very interesting. The song has a lot of uh, twists and turns. So, who has sung the song since? John McCormick, Paul Robeson, Bill Evans, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, Judy Garland, Bing Crosby, Joan Baez, Patti LaBelle, Jerry Lee Lewis, Jackie Wilson, Johnny Cash, Roy Orbison, Elvis Presley, Eric Clapton, Sinead O'Connor. Now, let's get to the present day. Why, first of all, is this song not allowed to be played in places like at churches? And that has a lot to do with the Catholic Church and the modern Catholic Church, that you have a thriving industry in writing liturgical work. And they really frown upon the idea of a song that doesn't have the mention of God. But I think it also could be said that this song doesn't exist in the Catholic works published and royalties and things like that. So it's it's looked upon and frowned upon it is interesting to note that the version of Ave Maria that most people are familiar with was also banned by the Catholic Church because it was considered a piece of opera. And now it can be sung. And Danny Boy really doesn't have any reference to God, but it's a reverent tune. Just like Amazing Grace doesn't really mention God by name. But somehow it's allowed to be played. So it's one of these things. In the Irish-American community especially, it really comes down to 
what kind of choir director you have and what kind of priest you have. And that's where it kind of exists. You just got to kind of fight your own battles. But usually when I'm asked to sing Danny Boy, I will sing it before a service starts, right before the coffin is brought in and blessed. It works pretty well there, and really the Mass hasn't officially started. But I could count on my fingers and toes how many times I've had to lock horns with a air director over allowing Danny Boy to be played. Let's go to the next part about this. It was written by an Englishman. And since we know that the Irish Americans, Irish Canadians adopted it as their anthem, and there's some longing for homeland and longing for kind of doing justice to the people that kicked them out of their homeland. There's always that militant edge to Danny Boy. Now, according to Irish Music Daily, they quoted that Fred Weatherly rejected political interpretation, saying he wanted Sinn Feiners and Ulstermen alike to sing the song. He also insists there's nothing of the rebel song in it and no note of bloodshed. Well, he's right. So along comes the third verse. The third verse is interesting because it does talk about righting wrongs. I was taught the third verse through Cus Tehan from County Kerry. Up to that point, I never had sang the third verse to Danny Boy, but singing the third verse makes the song completely Irish, in my opinion. And even though Danny Boy wasn't written with that militant feeling or that idea of a soldier going off to war, it's interesting to note that Fred Weatherly's son, Danny, joined the Royal Air Force during the First World War and was subsequently killed in action. We know that the song was written before World War I began. But the fact that he had a son named Danny that got killed is a real mystery to me. It seems like a no-brainer that there's something amiss here with Danny Boy. But all the dates point to the fact that he wrote it before his son was killed. Maybe there was the stirring of war, and maybe he thought, geez, what if my son goes to war? That could very well be what happened with this song. So there is sort of a militant or military bent to this song if you take it in context of what eventually happens to Weatherly's son, Danny. But is it a rebel song? No, not until you get that third verse. Who wrote the third verse? I am still searching to try to find who penned that verse. All I was taught was that it was somebody that was Irish that wanted to make sure that Danny Boy was remembered as an Irish song, completing the circle. Have there been other verses written? Oh, yeah. I mean, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, they have a group that's called Vocal Point. And a guy by the name of Keith Evans wrote a verse that talks about Danny Boy 
not returning. And I remember being given another verse written by a man that kind of kind of went along the same sentiments. What Keith Evans wrote was, So if you died and crossed the stream before us, we pray that angels met you on the shore, and you'll look down and gently you'll implore us to live so we may see your smiling face once more. Okay, doesn't do too much for me with it, but I tend to like the third verse. I put it out there that I think it's very important to have the third verse sung to really give the song its final resting place, if you will, in that it is a song that was acknowledged for an ancient bardic tune that the lyrics that Fred Weatherly wrote that he claims was not military foreshadowed the fact that his son would die and the Royal Air Force, who happened to be named Danny in World War I. It's also very interesting to note that the melody itself has to come from his sister-in-law, that has to come from this place of loss and toiling And you can only imagine what she must have felt like with that melody taking off and the realization that she was penniless. Finally, there is the adoption of the entire piece by the Irish-American community and the Irish-Canadian community, the diaspora, that makes Danny Boy... Danny Boy. It is one of those songs that grows beyond any of the people that wrote it. The melody, the lyrics, who sent the melody, the people that died, the people that left Ireland, the people remembering Ireland. Everybody can claim a little piece of it, and in its entirety, it becomes that song. It's a difficult song to sing, and it's a song that one should sing with great respect and emotion. And not everybody should do it. That's the story about Danny Boy, and that's why I like to still sing this song, because it has as much personal meaning for me having sung it at my grandfather's funeral, as it does for people who probably first heard that melody, O'Cahan's Lament in a Scottish castle back in the late 16th century. Happy St. Patrick's Day. This is Strung Out. Thank you for listening. For more information about this show or a transcript, visit martinmccormack.com. While there, sign up for our newsletter. See you next time on Strung Out. <laughs>